My name is Rob Almeida, Chief Investment Strategist and Portfolio Manager at MFS. Welcome to another edition of Strategist Corner Podcast. The views expressed are those of the speaker and are subject to change at any time. These views are for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a recommendation to purchase any security or as an offer of securities or investment advice. No forecast can be guaranteed. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. In this episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by two members of MFS's asset-backed securities team, Phil Bergner and Ki Guan, where we discuss their market and the signals it provides about the health of the consumer, the economy, and a whole bunch of other factors. And I hope you enjoy. So before we delve into the ongoings of, of your space, maybe demystify or simplify it a little bit for us. What are asset-backed securities? Who's providing the financing? Who's asking for capital? Who are the borrowers? Who are the lenders? How does this work? So asset-backed securities is, in very simple terms, just think of it as a security that's backed by a pool of assets. Um, such as you know your car loans, mm-hmm. your student loans, um, your credit card receivables, or you know if you get a phone upgrade that you know when you pay your uh, data provider throughout two years, that payment is being secured as so my monthly Verizon bill. right basically, okay. um, and those cash flow that you pay on a monthly basis will be used to pay back um, ABS investors who purchase the bonds. Um, you know, such as investors like us. So investors like you, you're you're financing that. So maybe walk me through the the, the mechanics of it. Are, are banks securitizing those loans to you in the form of packages that you're buying? How, how does that work? So um, just to give a really quick example, think of the asset backed security as you know, just like a company. So for example, in uh, a bank that you know originate like credit card loans, they will. Uh, bring you know thousands and thousands of loans and put them in a trust, what we call a trust that um, that's dedicated trust uh, with a pool of credit card loans. Mm-hmm. And once they package those together, they will issue an asset-backed security that's backed by this pool of um, uh, credit card um, receivables. Yep. And those will be kind of um, categorized into like different tranches, like class A, class B, class C. And then depending on the investors' like, appetite, and they will decide you know, whether they want to buy the Class A, the Class B, or Class C. So regarding different different classes, how does that risk pro- what determines that risk profile for each of those classes? How does that work? So like, um, in, in a um, structure, so when, when we talk about you know, Class A, B, or C, it's basically um, one, one aspect is time trends. So the Class A will be the first one to receive all the cash flow before the Class B. And once the class B get paid back, and then you get to the class C. Got it. And in terms of losses, that the class C will be the first one to absorb any losses that come and due to the trust. And that's kind of in reverse. So the class A will have, you know, they'll get all the money back first, and the class C will get the money last. But in terms of losses, will be reversed. Got it. So in, in summary, this, this market, this industry, it's a means for banks and like private com- companies, yep. like captives, that risk. yeah, so. captive, um, any kind of higher investment grade company. You can have like small companies that just originate one type of loans, mm-hmm. like, for example, like car loans, and they don't like ABS provide them a efficient way of funding yep. for you know their business basically. Right. Um, and this is a cheaper way of like funding for them versus going to the bank and get a loan. Uh, or warehouse loan that you know could cost them significantly more. So that as an investor, you're analyzing the pool itself, the right. quality of of the borrowers, potential for cash flows, 
then you're decomposing which classes offer the best risk uh, return. Risk right. Yeah, and then Phil, then you're deciding as a generalist. Correct. And, and you know, to demystify it further, right, we think about securitization or the markets do as like a black box, right? What is it? But our approach is very, is no different than a corporate analyst looking at an investment grade company or a high yield company. We have a pool of assets, let's say they're car loans and that key's example, and we're forecasting the future cash flows from those assets. Yeah. How many borrowers will default between now and the end of their li uh, life of their loan? Right. Then we take those cash flows, just like a corporate analyst is predicting revenue and predicting EBITDA out for years to figure out how much that can service their debt and leverage ratios, we're taking those cash flows and we're running through it at the bond structure. Yep. And we're looking for that inflection point where we think we're being paid enough spread given the risk associated with that portion of the tranche. Yep. And if a borrower doesn't pay their car payment, we repossess that vehicle, the trust does, and those recovery proceeds are passed through to the trust. So Rob, my advice to you, is stay current or we're getting your car. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna, you're and, gonna and we don't have to provide you any notice. We'll yeah. come and just get your car off. And my motorcycle, my RV, motorcycle. Yep. My, my boat. Your I don't phone, have any of those Your phone, things. right? Yes. <laughs> Someday I'm going to get a phone. I heard they're in. So, Phil, that's a good point. So, staying on that demystify, um, you've got new issue asset-backed securities, and then you have, uh, I guess you want to call them off the run. Sure. So, once it becomes off the run, does the analysis change? The analysis doesn't really change, right? Now we have performance data. How have those lo loans performed? How have those cash flows performed over the first 6, 12, 24 months, right. whatever the time period is? Key or the analyst covering that particular security would then dig in. How what does a loan pool look like today? How do we predict cash flows that in the future? And then exactly what again, what corporate analysts do as well is we're predicting taking those predicted cash flows. How many widgets are you selling? How much are how many loans are continuing to pay their auto loans back? And running those cash flows in the structure. So it's really important to take a step back. You know, I understand you know global financial crisis, the complexity of these securities, but our approach here at MFS is no different than we approach any other investing. It's about fundamentals, the durability of cash flows, and our ability as analysts, the credit team, to predict those cash flows in the future. Right. It's, the structure it's, is secondary. Right. It's like if you really think about, it, it's no different from think of like an ABS, almost just like a bank. You know, we have assets, we have liabilities right. in within the structure. And the only difference is, you know, the structure does not continue to make loans, whereas the bank does. Right. No, and that's a really good point. And that's something that I've been trying to communicate, you know, in this really difficult, volatile year, 2022, is that you know, the purpose of investing, you're intermediating between savers, those with excess capital, and a corporation, an enterprise, a government, a municipality, someone with a project, an idea, and, but you're funding cash flows and your asset class isn't any different. And what's the probability of those cash flows living up to expectations? Right? Exactly. Right. No different than predicting revenue EBITDA for a corporation yeah. out 5, 10, 15 years. And so regardless of what the sticker might say, AAA, AA, single, I mean, you have to do that homework. We do right. that homework for every right. single investment that we participate in. Yeah. I think we, we do the homework on the whole structure, not just looking at this particular tranche. Yeah. Or you start a particular off with the class. pool. Yeah, we, we start off the pool if we actually like the whole transaction. And, and you know, um, instead of just, okay, I'm just going to buy the class A, I'm just going to uh, target my analysis to a, um, the class A. That's not true. We um, do perform the analysis on the whole transaction. 
if we're comfortable buying all the way down to you know whatever class they issue, and then we kind of uh, pick which one we think is most um, would suggest a you know reward and uh, in terms of spread. It makes sense. So without you know before we get into what your market's signaling today and its impact on the economy and, and those other sorts of things, we last question without giving away the the secret sauce, if you will. But what uh, what, what are the, some of the key things that you look for or that you look to avoid? If, if there are any, one of the things that obviously you know you don't want to own the um, the bond and it end up you know losing money. Obviously. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's a bad. primary purpose. <laughs> <That's bad>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, in do our, our analysis, then one of the things that we really look at is for um, you know how good my analysis to project in those cash flow, and we do um, every you know couple of months we do reassess you know how well our initial um, analysis is, and then I take the information that we get uh, in the past couple of months and we um, reassess the, that scenario. So you're looking for thesis drift, right? Right, exactly. same idea. And, and that's a really good question, Rob, because what we do and our approach, and I've learned this from investing in this space through the global great financial crisis, however you want to name it, is structure is only as important as the quality of the underlying assets and the durability of those cash flows through cycle. The structure will never save you. It will help your rating stability. Right. It will help your weighted average life profile. But if you have to rely on that structure because the, ca the quality of the assets are so subpar or the originator and sponsor is someone we can't get comfortable with, it's a bass. That is unique in our approach versus the market, because what we are seeing today and in the past couple of years, and Key can attest this probably better than I can, is we are seeing so many various issuers, first-time issuers, low-quality management teams, low-quality origination platforms or servicing platforms, all red flags to us. But they take these assets, they put a structure on top of them, and they say, you can run your loss projections, because bonds will hold up. We don't invest in those structures. No. We don't invest in those companies. We don't invest in those assets. Because our belief is we want the good management teams, we want the quality assets, we want to have visibility of what we believe those cash flows will look like. We need, we need trust. We need, right. we need to have that relationship yeah. with the sponsor. So going back to that, is that a function of um, economic excess, money supply, that, that that increase in maybe lower quality origination, or is that without a doubt? It, it's a reach. At one point, it was a reach for yield, a reach for spread. Okay, right. I would say yeah. it's the second half of twenty twenty, early twenty twenty one. Um, we saw so first time was driving absolutely. Right. We okay. we saw first time issuers issuing, you know, assets that we wouldn't feel comfortable owning, and we don't think we have a better than market ability to predict what those cash flows will look like through a cycle. Yeah. You know, a lot of unsecured loans for first-time issuers. Um, a lot of private companies, right. very small companies. And it's again, it's it's that insight. It's the ability to do work, not just on the structure and collateral, but have conversations with the management team. Understand their origination profile, their profitability. What's their alignment of interest? These are all parts of the investment process that we utilize to get comfortable and securitized. It is amazing. You know, not to suggest that this is anything like the GFC. We're going to get into that, but how... History does re repeat and cycles do repeat, right? And and the market makes its own supply. Yes. 
So what do you see? You know, so you, you were both at an industry conference, I think, a few weeks ago, um, meeting with dozens of management teams and, and, and companies and issuers. So compare and contrast, because you both presented at a financial services sector meeting a few months back. Um, and some of the highlights I remember, consumer balance sheets, healthier versus GFC, consumers were paying down credit cards at a very fast pace, delinquencies were low. What are you seeing and hearing now versus then? Um, so like a couple months ago when, when we first did the, uh, the presentation at the uh, financial services, that, I mean, one thing hasn't changed is that um, majority of the consumers are still in a pretty good shape today. They're yeah. still paying down their debt. Um, but we are at the tone of the lender has actually changed. So if we, we were to ask them, you know, what are you concerned about? Are you concerned about inflation? Are you concerned about how high it rates will affect your business as well as your consumers? Uh, I think uh, a couple months ago, no one has any concern. They are, you know, when we kind of point to, you know, how do you see anything in performance that kind of, um, you know, kind of, you know, concern you? Performance and, of the loans. Oh, the, the loan, yep. yes, from, you know, all because of a high inflation and high mm-hmm. rates. And all of them say, no, everything's just normalizing. But like at the conference, we start to see people, uh, lenders becoming a little bit more concerned yeah. and they're watching closer. And without exception of all the lenders we spoke with that they have tightened underwriting standards. Okay. So there are some changes that, you know, that they are seeing, small changes uh, that they are seeing that, you know, kind of concern them uh, to, to a point that they kind of pull in, you know, uh, lending. So kind of bit. to Phil's point, maybe the, the quality of the issuance is getting a little better. Is that the right read? Um, in the new origination. Yes, correct. Yes, you yeah, would, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. So I think he did a really nice job in this. Um, we all hear about headline inflation numbers, CPI, 7 8%. You know, but when, it, when we really think about it, how does that impact your household? Not every household is going to fit in one category. You're mm-hmm. going to have prime households. You're going to have more middle class. You're going to have lower income households. He took a look at that and, and we drilled down using, again, a lot of this loan data that we get through the securitization uh, trusts with a lot of the conversations of different originators. And back on the envelope, but you know what she kind of highlighted, I don't know if you want to highlight a key, but for just shelter and transportation costs alone, yep. for that borrower, that consumer who does not own a home since COVID, Inflation's gone up a little bit north of 20% right. over the last three years. That's brutal. It is brutal. For the prime consumer, it's gone up over that same like period of in, time. Yeah, kind of in the teens, but significantly lower, lower. compared to... I mean, I think to... it was like 12 13% right. over three years. That's manageable, yeah. given what we know about wage inflation. But for that middle-class cohort that doesn't own a home, yeah. to see that type of inflation is really eye-opening. So it, it's, again, it's digging down and going beyond the headline number, but thinking about how does that impact what we're buying in securitized, right. but also what's, what's, what I love about the platform we have here, the research platform, is how plugged in we are in the entire research ecosystem. Right. And taking that information and presenting to the financial services group, talking to the retail analysts, and saying, hey, this is what we're seeing, yeah. something to be cautious on or talk to your management teams yeah. and see if they're hearing the same story. We're talking to issuers, some are private, some are Fortune 500 companies. They can be in the same industry. The information you get from a private company who is less constrained about public information, they can be really insightful on what are they seeing in pricing power for loans? How's their loan book performing? What's competition look like? 
Yeah. We gather that information and we are able to distribute it again to other analysts, portfolio managers yeah. throughout the complex, whether it's fixed income or equity, yeah. all with the purpose of helping them make better informed decisions on how they allocate capital for our clients. Yeah. So given that, um, how does that impact your probability assessment of cash flows and the securities that you're looking at? In other words, how are you thinking about your asset class today relative to nine months ago when it was a very different inflationary environment and a very different consumer environment? Um, overall, we, you know, our theme hasn't really changed, but what I would say is that, you know, given the backdrop, the probability of like um, the U.S. economy going into a recession. Yeah. Obviously, no one can predict when that's going to happen and whether it will be a deep recession or a soft landing. Yeah. Um, so what we do is that we um, have moved away. Uh, I wouldn't say move away. We become a little bit more conservative mm -hmm. in terms of even the, the issues we like. Uh, we are moving a little bit higher in the capital stack. Okay. Um, not that we don't like the sponsor, but I don't think we are getting paid enough to take on that, you know, uh, lower uh, class risk. Right. Yeah. Uh, in the event we, we do and we are getting compensated for it, that you might experience a lot of volatility yeah. due to the period. But if we think that we're going to pay enough, that's when we will step in. Yeah. yeah so just n not different than a credit investor making the decision to right. maybe an investment grade credit and a high yield credit. You need to be paid and you're not getting paid enough in one versus the other, right. et cetera. Yeah. So I'd say in consumer space and structures that are more levered to that subprime or middle tier consumer, we've gone up in quality. Right. So we are more inclined to look at the AAA and AA's at current valuations. Yeah. As a whole, with under Key's recommendation, we've upgraded the portfolios in general or, or our recent investments by looking more at deals that are backed by that prime consumer. Okay. Because our view, again, just judging by one of the conversations we've had down in Miami with all these different originators and issuers, and Key's great work again on that inflation component, that prime household is in remarkable shape. Mm. And the expecta expectations are that through cycle, losses will be average or maybe even slightly below average, right. what you typically see in a recession. Right, right. Which is consistent with, um, you, you think, Every recession is just a rebalance of whatever was in excess. And in 07 and 08, that was a rebalance of the banking system and the consumer. The consumer was out of balance and rebalanced throughout the 2010. So going into this, the consumer was in much better shape to begin with, notwithstanding the 7, 8, 9% right. inflation you're, you're right. seeing right. now. So losses could be not as severe as you've seen in past cycles. Or no? Yeah. Well, I, I think I would agree. One, um, not only consumers today are in a much better place and they are much healthier compared to past cycles. Mm -hmm. We also what we're seeing is uh, lenders are also being responsible and proactive and actually tighten underwriting standards. So you have like two forces kind of working together in okay. a way. Um, then you know, if we were to hit a recession today, um, in terms of loss, I believe it would be lower than what we experienced in the past cycle. Right. It's a great question, Rob, because it is an interesting reaction function from the lenders we met with down in Miami versus if you had a similar discussion in 06 and 07. Today, when they see performance or delinquency starting to tick up, almost universally from all the lenders mm -hmm. we spoke, spoke to are pulling back credit. They're tightening standards. Mm -hmm. 
If you go back to 06 and 07, even though delinquencies were starting to increase, the lenders were still tripping over themselves to make loans and grow. Right. And that philosophy or that mindset, at least, so, or it's still early days, right. but at least yeah. so far has changed. And they're actually being somewhat disciplined. And that is in stark contrast yeah. to when you go back to these same lenders back in 06, 07, leading into the crisis. Yeah, yeah and not to convert this to a economic discussion because that's not why we're here but it is just interesting to me that you know that this narratives about soft landing hard landing you mentioned you know, probability of recession it's so hard to predict we can see financial market pain um with without a recession right mm -hmm. because the 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 excess wasn't in the consumer which drives two-thirds of of gdp um the excess was in non-bank profit margins, which to me, what you're confirming is is that the consumer was relatively strong going into the pandemic. We know they came out of the pandemic stronger because of stimulus. Now that's faded. And I think what you're saying is the lower ends being stressed by inflation, right? And But that prime borrower um, has flexibility, at least flexibility relative to other pre-recessions. It's absolutely remarkable how strong that prime borrower is okay. right now. And it was a takeaway from this conference. Again, we're down there. Yep. Key's down there as an analyst. I'm down there just absorbing the information in sunny Miami. <laughs> and I always think to myself, what are the takeaways from a capital allocator perspective, right? from a viewpoint? What are my takeaways? And coming out of that conference, I certainly have a different view on monetary policy, soft, soft landing, hard landing, and the consumer. And the takeaway for me was the prime consumer surprised me. I mentioned this a key, yeah. how resilient they are with this many rate, rate hikes, this much amount of tightening, that they're still spending, they're traveling, they're using their Amex cards, they're seeing good loan growth, they're still employed. I'm surprised by that. Yeah. I would have thought they would slow down sooner. Now the question is, what does that tie into? Well, that tells me that, you know, despite some of the better inflation prints we may have had recently, there may still be a far, we may still have far to go on monetary policy tightening. And the right. Fed may actually have cover because the economy is still doing right. relatively well because of that upper income cohort. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's that's what I was trying to get at um, with my comment a moment ago where um, the central bank may still have work to do for what, you know, just as you're describing, um, and it might not be game over, if you will, from a monetary policy tightening standpoint. And that has impact in other areas of Does. the financial markets for sure. Okay, so when we think about fixed income investing, you're obviously lending money and you're expecting to get that money back. So from an asset allocation standpoint, so what I'm hearing, the consumer is strong. Um, there's pockets of weakness, softness, but it's remarkable uh, the quality of, of the consumer today. If we compare that to the corporate sector, which is seemingly equally strong, but as growth fades, as revenues fade, as pricing power fades, we're likely to see some profit margin reset and a higher probability of defaults in the corporate sector, at least relative to the asset back space. So thinking about it from an asset allocation standpoint, are asset back securities today more attractive because there's just less default risk relative to the U.S. corporates or corporates in general? Asset back on a historical basis relative to corporates are definitely more attractive today. 
And one of the things that, uh, just like you mentioned about, you know, the uh, corporation can, you know, the margin can get compressed and uh, the revenue can drop in the coming quarters. Whereas in an asset back um, structure, once you have, the, you make the loan, you put the loan in there, it doesn't change. What changes how the consumer behave, how they yep. will pay back your loans. So you have less factors that would impact the cash flow other than you know monitoring how the consumers are doing. Yep. Um, so I think we have like um, you know stronger, maybe not stronger, but we have a little bit more clarity with, like on a static pool of loans versus what the corporates will have, like what will happen to the corporations. Right. So that doesn't change. Yeah, I mean, the way I, I think about it is it, we tend to think about debt in absolute terms, but it's really debt relative to income. And so on the corporate space, what I worry about is we should be normalizing income. We should be normalizing margins. We should be normalizing cash flows, which which we do. And I say, I mean the, the, the market. What the market doesn't do is normalize leverage ratios for corporations. So where I'm, where I'm driving at, it just seems like when you normalize for cash flows, that there's seemingly less risk in your space today, given what you're describing. So one other thing that I do want to point out is that um, when we talk about normalizing, is that when I, um, if a new issue comes to my market, I completely discount the strong performance that happened in the last two years because those are not normal times, right. and we are probably not going to see that ever again. Yep. And I will not take those uh, performance data as an input to my analysis to project that you know uh, how much how many consumers going to default, what the default rate is going to look like, how much loss they can occur. What I will do is actually go all the way back, looking at a particular issuer or a particular company's um, historical uh, like loss curve and their historical losses, and use that as an input to my analysis. Um, and you know, obviously there might be like plus or minus on each end, but I'm definitely more comfortable um, using that as an input versus you know trying to normalize today. Right, which is generally what Wall Street seems to do. They just take point in time of the last right. twelve months. Like they do that with trailing twelve month EBITDA or or trailing twelve month. Yeah, um, we go all the way back. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. You need to look at pre stimulus pre stimulus pre COVID levels and and try to. Right. Come up with a true normalized. Right. We, we also kind of look at, you know, um, if a company uh, operate before the financial crisis, what happened during the financial crisis and mm. look at the quality of those loans compared to the quality of the loans today and look at, you know, how much they actually, what the loss rate looks like back then yeah. and kind of come up with our own uh, assumption or inputs um, to, you know, project, like make a better projection on that's an important point. So it's not just normalizing, but it's normalizing and then stressing it. Right. Right. Running through the 08 model. Yeah. But that is a great question, Robin. We are seeing some yeah. very attractive opportunities in asset back right now. Going back to your corporate question, you're right. You know, triple B investment grade corporates, leverage ratios are still in line historically, but elevated. But there are a lot of headwinds. And if you add in a recession of that, there is, at least from our IG analyst perspective and portfolio managers on the credit funds, there's real downgrade risk, a lot of fallen angel risk. Right. If I look at valuations in IG corporates and triple Bs and I compare them to some of the keys, one recommendation, one recommendations on triple A AAA or double A asset backs backed by prime consumers, 
I can replicate the similar yield spread and in, in a lot of cases actually earn more spread than a triple B corporate. And I have a natural deleveraging structure. As borrowers pay down their loans, as they pay down their principal, the structure deleverages. I have no refinancing needs. I am not beholden to what a corporate management team decides about mm-hmm. when or if they will delever or will they do share buybacks. Yeah. Or it's use static. The, um, lever up to buy a company. That's right, exactly. And, and this point in the cycle, those are real concerns. Now, why are ABS spreads as wide as they are? Our view is, and we've seen some headlines out there about concerns around the consumer. Right. But this is when it pays to be active. Right. When you have the resources and the capabilities, as we do, to actually look at the loans, talk to the originators, understand the structures, and feel comfortable with those cash flows, we see this concern in the market as an opportunity to own really cheap, high-quality cash flows at a time when I think there's a lot of uncertainty around monetary policy, when, if there's a recession, my view is I'd much rather own the AAA, AA rated asset back, backed by auto loans, hard assets, versus the triple B corporate right now. Right, that makes sense. Well, listen, thank you both very, very much. I enjoyed this. Um, it's not too much to ask. I think given the, what seems to me, increasing potential for a recession in 23, we're gonna have you back some point next year. Hopefully earlier than later. We would love to be back. Yeah, thank you for having Maybe us. Maybe not under a recession, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hopefully there's no recession, or hopefully the recession is over. Right there we <laughs> go. By the time we're back. There we go. All right. Well, thank you both. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of Strategist Corner podcast. I'll be back in a few weeks with a final 2022 podcast with my good friend and our chief economist Eric Weissman, and our thoughts ending the year and a look ahead into 2023.